Ziploc that yeah. Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap yeah. I remember nights, I didn't remember nights I damn near went crazy, I had to get it right Favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper. The absolute truth, yeah, no joke. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Trap Draw Podcast. As always, I am TC. Randy is, uh, I don't know what Randy's doing tonight. He's not on this podcast tonight. I'm joined by two very special people. Uh, first of all, DJ Pihowski. DJ, how are you? I'm doing great. Thrilled to be with my incel QAnon 4chan Snyder Cut motherfuckers here to talk about the bear. I can't wait. Uh, well, TJ, you you were the one that, that recommended to me a couple weeks ago. You watched it. I said, I'd never heard of it. I turned it on. I watched it in one sitting. And someone else who I think watched it in one sitting is also here with us this evening. KVV, Kevin Van Volkenberg. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm uh, ready to to rip through this thing like a, a rush order for brunch, uh, coming in hot. Oh, so fucking I, I'm brunch, a little bit uh, fucking brunch. Surprised. I feel like I didn't even hear about this until you guys were talking about it. Like Hulu basically didn't even promote this show at all. It wasn't really. Maybe there's just too much content out there, and you got to have recommendations from people. We'll get there. We'll get there. I think let's okay. let's first of all we got to thank one of our sponsors, which is Gooder. Gooder sunglasses. DJ, I've been wearing them. I've been wearing them like crazy. I've been wearing them today with my new uh, goatee thing going on. I look like a, <laughs> you know, one of the true patriots. Put a camo hat on and, and you know, all set there. But uh, I've got like six pairs of gooders. I got a pair of my golf cart. I got a pair of my, in my car. I got a pair of my wife's car. I got a pair of a stroller. I got a pair of my golf bag. They're great. You know, I, I don't have kids, so I'm, I'm not at a point in my life where I'm constantly misplacing stuff or breaking stuff. I, I look forward to that maybe someday in the future. I just got one tried and true pair that I, I wear them all the time. They're right by the front door. I grab them when I leave. Uh, I move to a place that the sun is out much, much less, which is uh, unfortunate. So, you know, I hope I get to keep using my gooders uh, as much as I did down in Florida. Well, uh, they are no slip, no bounce, all polarized. They look great on and off the course, and they start at 25 bucks. Built with a golf-specific lens, gooder sunnies, shades, sunglasses, whatever you want to call them. All the HD contrasts and performance without the hefty price tag. Uh, right now, you can go to gooder.com. That's G-O-O-D-R.com, and get 15% off your entire order when you use code TRAPDRAW at checkout. That's T-R-A-P-D-R-A-W. No space or anything like that. And all orders over $50 get free shipping in the U.S. That's 15% off with code TRAPDRAW at Gooder.com. We appreciate their support. So, yeah, I it's crazy. I'd never heard of this show before. It was originally on FX, right? Yeah, I think it kind of came out. I, I honestly don't know the inner workings. I think they dropped it all at once on Hulu. I think Hulu and FX have a, a pretty you know symbiotic relationship. And... I think they put all the episodes out at once, and it was kind of just a slow trickle of, of word of mouth, I think. I mean, I think they kind of ramped up. I started seeing a lot of Instagram ads and kind of random random uh, promotion from it, and the people in my Instagram feed, Twitter feed, whatever, that I heard about it from are, you know, it wasn't a lot of people, but the people who were talking about it were exceedingly passionate to a point that uh, made it made it really stand out and kind of cut through. Uh, I gave it a shot. You know, I know I, I feel like I said this to both of you guys. It's it's 
it's a tough sell for me. You know, a, a show about a uh, early 30s guy who moves back to the Midwest, you know, loves food and apparently Wilco. That's a tough one to sell to me, you know, but I uh, kept an open mind, stuck with it. And it was probably the best show, you know, I think I've seen I've seen this year. I mean, it's just it, I absolutely loved it. I, I had not heard of it at all. In fact, when you mentioned, oh, we had made that joke about, oh, you know, if you're a white guy who loves Wilco and lo- loves the Midwest, I was like, oh, is it going to be like a, a white guy show? And it's actually like one of the most diverse shows probably on TV in a lot of ways. And uh, and really a show about working class people, which you don't often actually get uh, in a way that's not, you know, comedic or sort of uh, condescending. Uh, and so... I had not watched Shameless, which I know the lead actor is was uh, sort of one of the kind of leads in, and um, I only really recognized a, a couple of the other actors. the The one guy plays, uh, sorry, Mikey or not Mikey, but um, his cousin who, who was in Girls. You know, he was uh, uh, what's her name's uh, boyfriend, the folk singer in Girls. Uh, but other than that, kind of a pretty much a new cast. Uh, man, visually, the show just kind of like crackles i mean it's just the way that the shots bounce from one thing to the next and you're looking at you know quick hits of food and uh that just looks delicious i i couldn't have been more like sort of uh, quickly hooked let's do a little synopsis just if people have no idea what the hell we're talking about the bear is a show about uh a guy who is uh kind of a, a classically trained michelin star uh executive chef his brother Kills himself, passes away in Chicago, and the brother, Carmi, the main character of the show, has to come back to Chicago and kind of run the family uh, cult classic Italian beef restaurant. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of growth and struggle uh, ensues. Tron, uh, let me let me start with you. I, I You were on the top of my list as someone to, to recommend this, this show to. Uh, I'm Just set the table because I think, honestly, I think this is maybe your first perfect club. Is that right? It's my first perfect club with you guys. I haven't done. I think I've done one or two, but I, I don't. Know, I don't know if those are real perfect clubs, right? So, uh, you know, I, I I think we've got you know. So we can we can take that offline, DJ. I do want. I, I've, I've one uh, correction here as well, and that is uh, it's a James Beard Award winning chef, not a not a Michelin star. Right, 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 right. Sorry, but that's a, a stand down there on that one. Uh, but yeah, I was going to ask. So you're, may come you know, after uh, you for that. That's all right. We'll we'll work through it. Instant mea culpa on my end for the, uh, you know, for that one. But Tron, I know you're not. I, I wouldn't call you a massive TV guy. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I don't really watch much TV at all. I watch. Uh, let's see, a little bit of Chopped. I watch Top Chef, uh, and then I just binge. Like when I start a show, I will watch it all the way through. I can't. I watch five episodes in a night. I'll watch six episodes in a night. But I don't really watch it. Like I, I'm no, I don't watch TV consistently. I'll flip on Netflix every, you know, once a week or something like that. I'll I'll do some streaming stuff. I watch a lot of PBS. I watch like I watch a ton of Frontline, and uh, American Experience are probably my two favorite shows. I, I don't know. I'm weird, man. So uh, the, the world yeah. would be a better better place if we all sat and watched Frontline. Like Frontline's an yeah. amazing amazing journalism. <laughs> TC, you look you look with your with your harsh shaved goatee. You kind of look like one of the dudes from the like Oregon, the Ruby Ridge, uh, front line that I know you love so much. Yeah. <laughs> Either that or John Fetterman, the candidate for Pennsylvania governor. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Just well, had yeah, a stroke, yeah, actually, yeah, so. yeah. But yeah, so Deej, like you recommended this, and I was, I, I love watching something when I have no idea what it's about. 
whether it's a movie or picking up a book or whatever and and having to come almost like having no context whatsoever and having to kind of work my way through the first episode or two to kind of figure that out and this was no different i was you know you had kind of said hey this is it's about a chef moves back to to the midwest and i loved all the chicago shots first and foremost that kind of like it felt quintessentially chicago uh right off the bat i think and uh going from there like the you know the music struck me the the lighting all the camera work just strong characters but the biggest thing i had trouble with at first was just like all right what kind of restaurant is this because they're serving these beef sandwiches but then they're also serving you know kind of meat and like they did the family meal for meat and three for all the employees but i was thinking at first i was like wait is this a barbecue restaurant is this something are they doing italian beef and barbecue what's going on here so that was kind of the first first thing i had to really work through in my head uh and then after maybe midway through the second episode i was like holy shit this is unbelievable um we've talked to like cody and neil and a couple other people that have watched it and they're like it made me so anxious it's you know and i'm like yeah dude like that's that's like working in a restaurant like it's and, and 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 i think that like nervous energy throughout the entire thing where everything's kind of on a razor's edge is exactly what like why it resonated i totally agree and i think that is you know we'll get much deeper into detail on that with what you know we get into episode 7 the the oneer the the kind of single shot episode which is pretty much unlike anything i've ever seen on tv but i think that's kind of the main takeaway that most of the most of the people have you know, in reviews or whatever, is it, it really passes the restaurant bona fides. So I want I want to start with kind of two topics. One, let's set the table as far as like your guys's you know restaurant food service experience, uh, if any. Let, let's Kevin, any anything you come to the table with anything judgment free zone, of course. Here, sure. Uh, I'm coming to the table totally blank. I I never worked in food service. Uh, I will just say that my wife. Worked in a bunch of it. She grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Worked as you know waitress. Worked in kitchens. Worked in all that stuff. And so she was immediately like, "Wow, this is really true to life." And so I felt I was more of like a working. I put in underground sprinklers. I mowed lawns. I sure. did various like construction stuff. So I was a you know the guy who would go buy the sandwiches, frankly, <laughs> in these shows, uh, not the one who would prep it. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, specifically, I mean, we can get into some of the Chicago bona fides, but when, when they talk about the uh, the nerds from Rockford will come in to get these sandwiches if you have the <laughs> video game contest, I was like, oh, damn, uh, that man, that, that's, little, yeah. that, that's tough. You guys were kind of just making fun <laughs> of me this whole time. Like, oh, bummer. Tron, what about you? Any, any food service experience? I know a hotelier with uh with the best of them yeah lots i actually the reason i got into hotels was because i had so much food service experience i worked in a restaurant for three three and a half years in college i kind of that was like you know how i you know like my parent i was lucky enough my parents paid for college but i you know for any sort of spending money or summer jobs and and really all through the school year uh, I just liked working at this restaurant in Oxford where I went to school. So it was like, it was a fine dining restaurant. It was the nicest restaurant in town, which not saying a whole lot for Oxford, but also like it was the one where, you know, people would have like, like people's families would come in from Chicago or Cleveland or DC. And like you would have your graduation party there. Or all the professors would eat there and everything. And, and actually it was a classically trained chef uh, who had worked at a bunch of places in Chicago who came back with his wife. They had met at a restaurant in Chicago, came back with his wife and started this this restaurant. And there was a bar upstairs 
and it was called Alexander House, and then the bar upstairs. I'm trying to think what the name of the bar upstairs was, but basically they they moved back to Oxford, Ohio, and started this fine dining restaurant, and that was so it's kind of there's there's some similarities there. And then after college, I worked uh, in Atlanta. I worked at a couple places, business casual, pseudo fine dining uh, stuff, and then and then yeah, and then got into hospitality, got into the, to hotels, and met my wife in hotels, and her parents both went to Cornell for. Uh, food service, restaurant, you know, uh, hotel management. And her dad was a, was a chef. Uh, her parents started like four or five restaurants down in Naples, Florida when she was growing up. So, and like I looked at going after college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I looked hard at, at being a chef, at going to Culinary Institute of America. And I remember, you know, my cousin's like a, like my cousin's a James Beard award-winning chef. And uh, it's very much like he almost convinced me not to do it. He's like, Hey, you really, really, really have to, you know, accept that the lifestyle sucks and that you're going to get burned out and all that. And so I kind of found something that was a little bit adjacent to that with, with hotels. But yeah, as far as just the, you know, just the general culture and the general, the lingo and all that stuff. It's like, I feel like I've had one foot into it, but I, you know, I don't have the culinary bona fides, but at the same time, I feel like I have a certain fluency in the back of the house, if that makes sense. It does. And I'm, I'm in a pretty similar boat as well. I worked at very similar kind of story, the, the country club of Peoria when I was in college, basically worked there just so that I could play golf on Mondays, which I was never able to do because I was in school who could have saw that coming, but worked there as a kind of busser, like bus boy type job for a couple of years, uh, when I was a freshman, sophomore in college. And it was the same kind of thing. It was like a white tablecloth, nicest type of place in in Peoria, but it's much like Oxford, you know, we weren't uh, really getting the molecular gastronomy, scratching that itch necessarily. But it was uh, it was a lot of the same kind of setup. It was you know family meal, uh, a lot of chefs from all over the world that would you know f- for whatever reason found themselves in Peoria and kind of needed a place to to be at, at kind of a little finer dining type of place. And so that it just brought back so many, uh, so much of, I don't even know if nostalgia is the right, the right word. I mean, I definitely get why it was so hard to watch for people who did like real food service, like, like you're talking about Tron. And, but also what it, what stuck with me was kind of the, almost the, I, I guess camaraderie is the easiest word of, of just like, man, what a shitty job. 98% of the time mm-hmm. and then you get to that 2% at the end of the day and you just like feel like you've gone to war with these people and it's <laughs> completely us against them it is like everybody says they're getting into it because you know they love serving food and putting a smile on people's faces that is so like not the case in the moment everybody fucking hates everybody everybody's pissed everybody like you can't believe that that lady just sent back that steak fuck that like it is it is so much of that stuff and you get through a service and you break everything down and the restaurant's quiet and you like crack beers with people or you you know smoke a joint by the dumpster or whatever and it's just like such a uh god the show captured that in in such a big way and it it just it's funny like thinking about your your cousin's kind of uh kind of warning i mean i I don't know if it i i I weirdly like 
got done with the show and was just like, yeah, maybe I should open a restaurant. And I was like, wait, did you watch the show? Like, wh- did you watch it? How are those two things like fighting in your it's head? So, so, it's so, so illogical hard, you know? it's, and like more, more, like more <laughs> yes. illogical by the day with like food costs and labor costs and all of that. And like my wife, yeah, totally wore, like, like, like Alex, she was an executive steward. So she was basically the head dishwasher for the hotel at the Ritz Buckhead. And it was crazy. Cause like, you know, like you, like you take the shittiest part of the restaurant and then cool. You're in charge of that for like seven restaurants now or six restaurants or five restaurants. And it's like that, but, but like going back to what you said, Deej, like there were certain characters where I helped manage a restaurant in Atlanta. And it was like, we, like we had that disgruntled prep cook or sous chef. We had the guy in the dish pit who was just a total character and you wanted to have beers with him afterwards. You had like everybody had their little idiosyncrasies and it would come through in their work where like, you know, that person was a little bit slow taking a table or like you, like you knew you had to skip them in line because they were too chatty, that sort of thing. Or like when the owner comes in to expo and, you know, during a very, very busy time period like that, like, all right, cool. We know it's business today, man, you know? And, uh, but, but yeah, it's like exactly. all those relationships and all the, you know, and it's a window into like, you've got immigrants, you've got, you know, people that are in the business because this is what they know how to do. You have people that are aspirational and optimistic and trying to train for their next station and really, really addicted to this. And then you have people that are kind of stuck in between those two things. Yeah. Uh, it was the best part about it, right? Is that it captures all those worlds, kind of both the camaraderie of it and the conflict of it that all, you know, I didn't really think about that until you said that, but the meeting of how many different worlds come together in kitchens and restaurants uh, is really a fascinating sort of, I guess, Petri dish for drama. Well, what's the moment in episode seven, is it, where Richie gets stabbed and he, he asks the, the line <laughs> cook to tell him about the, you know, the the attempted takeover in Somalia? Or Somalia, or yeah. It, it's is, this like, so... is this Black Hawk Down? Is this Black Hawk Down? <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. Abraham is like this sneaky great character. When it, so this, good. She says, she's talking earlier, Sydney's talking earlier in the episode two or whatever, we're going to institute a French brigade. And he says... <laughs> I was in a brigade once. <laughs> Many people died. <laughs> so good. Like the place where it really, really hit home for me was when the health inspector came in in episode oh, yeah. two. Mm-hmm. And I'm yes. like, oh, fuck this, man. Like, I've, I've seen this. I've seen this movie before. Like, uh, like the walk-in is, you know, or like, or, or like when they go in the walk-in fridge or the walk-in freezer and it's so quiet in there. And it's like a this little oasis, away, like this little frozen oasis away from the chaos of the restaurant and the restaurant itself is like, it's a mix of like customer service and logistics and, and, you know, culture and culinary and and like all that stuff. And then, you know, all that like mixed together, but it's all just wrapped in chaos. Right. Well, and it's, it's also such a good indicator of like problem solving too, right. Where there's just, it's nothing but problems popping up all day. And, and Mm -hmm. all it is, it's like, it's where it get you know, it's probably why, like, you know, with all the uh, kind of workplace shortages and all that stuff, like why things of services just gotten like exponentially shittier, right? Is like if you're not hiring people who are able to solve their own problems, they all just trickle down and trickle down and trickle down and build up and snowball onto one person, which is, again, what makes 
episode seven so fucking good is just you know the, the entire place is on fire and the guy's still working on his donuts and that's another another thing Carmi has to solve it's just <laughs> the whole thing is so good so uh, moving on a little bit what uh, i watch a lot of uh, not a lot but i i watch i go deep on a couple food shows right chef's table great british baking show top chef bourdain things of that nature i know tron i know you're you're similar kevin i don't know a ton about your food tv watching habits but I'm curious, I guess, start with you, Tron. What, what made this so different than a lot of the other kind of food cuisine related, you know, content TV that's out there? Yeah, I think because there's a narrative, there's a, it feels inherently real, but it's obviously fiction. I think the dialogue for me, it just nailed it. Like those are Top Chef or Last Chance Kitchen or Chopped or Iron Chef or anything there. And then like, I've never watched Great British Baking Show, but like, uh, chef's table is very much like kind of documentary expose a little bit more. Uh, whereas this is like this, you truly feel like it's almost a, you know, a live, like you're embedded in the kitchen, but also I feel like it's a snapshot into a place in time too, where you've got the, the store, you know, the, the places like, like the different bars down the street or, or, you know, a store down the street that's closing down. Like there's that theme of, that there's you know corporate restaurants moving into town all that stuff and it's like building a sweet green yeah 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 it's like it's like you know part of the reason nobody gives a shit or like service sucks at a lot of these places is because like nobody has any skin in the game and like if you have to you know make like establish real relationships with people and it's your name on the building or it's your name on the front door or on the front of the menu uh that that means something right and there's a certain level of pride there and there's a certain level of like like you go the extra mile to solve that problem, you know? And I, so I think that's where like, it just felt like, I mean, shit, it's, it's eight episodes. And I felt like, like each of those eight episodes I could relate to deeply on just my personal experience in restaurants, as well as everything that I've read, you know, in, in memoirs and biographies and all of that. Um, It's just, you know, and it's like at this very unique time period when the, restaurant industry and hospitality in general is kind of undergoing this massive transformation shift from being like, like it was okay to be a massive dick and, you know, very, very like abusive and very, very borderline like criminal. It was a cash business. It was, it was old school. It was, you know, the brigade system, all that stuff. And then like right now we're going through that, you know, whether it's the Me Too movement with the Mario Batali, like shit, last week or two weeks ago, there was just a big, like massive article about Dan Barber in uh, Eater. And, you know, like he, he was kind of the guy who like the, the farm to table guy who kind of brought a lot of this stuff to the forefront. And now like they're almost eating their own. It's really tough to kind of figure out, all right, where does the restaurant industry go from here? Because inherently part of it is so entrenched and so it's almost necessary in a way maybe not necessary but like a lot of people do feel it's necessary to like when you're in the kitchen like i think it is so raw and so combative and so you know just chaotic that the only thing that can cut through that sometimes is that you know directness and really really like brutishness and like almost like abusiveness right and so it's it's kind of I think I think this was released at a really interesting time period, like within kind of the arc of the restaurant industry as well. And like post COVID, too, it's like, you know, hey, it's tougher than ever for for restaurants to stay open. So long story short, like this kind of it's radically different from anything I've watched uh, as far as 
food stuff, but also it's radically different in that it feels, it feels like, Hey, let's like, sometimes the best stuff is right there in front of your nose and you can, you can really invest in your own neighborhood and invest in where you live. You don't have to go to the ends of the earth to find greatness. Right. And, and I think there's like a certain lesson to be learned in that because a lot of the, the food shows that I watch are, you know, whether it's Bourdain or, uh, you know, anything on Netflix, it's, it's always somebody traveling to the ends of the earth to find something new, to find something great, to find something. And sometimes like dig a little bit deeper in your, dig a little bit deeper in your own neighborhood. Cause that stuff is like right under your nose sometimes. And there's, I mean, DJ, like I, I think of Cthulhu's here in town. Right. No, in, exactly. In Jack's of like a place that's like, it's two brothers and like, but they're doing like legitimately great shit right down the street. And so I think, you know, kind of shifting that, that mentality of like, Hey, let's search, let's search the ends of the earth for greatness. No, let's search in our own backyard. So, sorry, that was super long winded, but no, it was great. I, on the flip, DJ, I have not, I don't watch any of the cooking shows. Like I've never watched top chef. Don't watch any of that kind of British baking, anything, I just in general don't love reality TV except for Project Runway, which I watched like seven. Project s- Runway sick. Ten seasons of yeah, I love the fact that Project Runway you had to have, and I'm sure this is true of the cooking stuff, but you had to have like real skill to advance to the next thing. You couldn't yeah, really. There's a, there's a product. Exactly. You, you can make a product. It. Yeah. But I think part of why I loved it right away is because what a lot of the writing that I like is writing that doesn't basically like hit you over the head with exposition is like, oh, this is a show about blah through the dialogue of the characters. Like this is very much, I said this on Twitter, like there's a little bit of spiritual cousin to the wire here where you don't know what's going on a lot. If you're not familiar with the the world of kitchen stuff, you are going to be feel left behind a little bit, but the, they're trusting you to figure it out. Like in the end, some, you know, the, the dialogue is super fast paced. You can't, you know, like you don't know anybody's name at first. Like, you may not be familiar at all with like kitchen prep or what the fuck they're doing, but it all just kind of goes and goes and goes. And you have to sort of like work a little bit to keep up. And to me, a lot of what you're talking about, Tron, like that's true of journalism too, where the best shit is sometimes stuff that it's like, you know, right in front of you. It's not like the big national publication speaking as like a national writer type guy, but like it's fucking people who like actually are connected to your neighborhood and people who know, like what the real stories are. And there is some of that stuff too, that sort of toxic, like scream at you to get your story in on time and stuff done. I mean, I worked at newspapers for 11 years and I felt a little bit of a kinship in the same sense of the show. I had an editor who was super demanding and super like an asshole in a lot of ways, but he was, had a really good sense for what journalism was and he would scream at people and some people it would, that would never fly today. And so seeing this kind of, and thinking about the kind of reckoning that journalism had to kind of go through a little bit with some of that of like, what's allowed, what's a new kind of generation of people coming into it. It made me think that, man, there are some similar things where people come from all different backgrounds and have to kind of work together in a sort of team way. And sometimes screaming is part of it and you have to have a little thick skin to deal with some of that. And so even though I'm not super familiar with the world of cooking, like I think I'm pretty adept at like, picking out what makes good TV. And part of that is just like not explaining shit and hitting you over the head with it, trusting you to figure it out. I think a lot of kind of what both of you touched on too is reflected at KBB. I know you were talking about the, the Sophie Gilbert Atlantic piece. That was really, really good. I read today, uh, just kind of taking, kind of going through a, a, 
the whole show with a little bit of a different lens. And one of the the phrases that I kind of highlighted out of there was, what if it seems to wonder the qualities required for people to thrive in hierarchies, kitchens, boardrooms, small-time criminal subsets are also poisoning those worlds from within, which is pretty pretty like spot on to what you guys are, are kind of you know nibbling around too, is just each one of these people that seems to make it to the top, it, it kind of validates them on the whole. It becomes a one or a zero, right? Like there's, there is no kind of, there's no nuance to, to whether they're doing a good job or not. It is just, is the food good? Good. Then everything else must be good as well. And for so long, it, it feels like that kind of carried the day. And I think this show does such an unbelievable, like very subtle in a lot of ways too. Like it, you know, I, I, I think you, you kind of walk away from it feeling like, oh, wow, it's a, it's a show about, you know, cooking and, and interpersonal relationships. And really, like, like you said, Kevin, it's like kind of a show about feminism, maybe yeah. a little bit. <laughs> like <laughs> there's a lot of just, you know, like, hey, there's a big argument going on in the street. Should we solve it with guns or words which is again like a <laughs> and sandwiches like kind of and sandwiches which is again kind of like a almost a not so subtle but it really works because it's so brilliantly done it's just i, I man there's there's a million things to to kind of get into uh, on that i think on that again. note too i like the fla- like the way that they use flashbacks you know you kind of I, th- I think you see the first one in episode two where you know carmy's like going back to his time i think it's in new york going back to his time working at you know, wherever he won that James Beard or wherever with, he was with nominated Joel for that rising chef. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's, it kind of, it kind of leads you into that a little bit, but then you're left wanting more, more backstory or more context there. And then you're really, you know, you're given that later on. I don't know if it's, it's episode five or episode six, but where it's like you said, KVV, it's not like it's, it's the opposite of obvious, right? It's, it's super, super nuanced it eases you in on these different themes and it just gives you a little taste and it kind of marinates and then it comes back to it and it comes back to it and it loops back around but like it never hits you in the face it's up to you to really decide and you know it's and like i think on that note like one of my favorite characters is is uh tina like she's yeah she's <laughs> awesome because she's cause, like she's she's very much like that because at first you're like oh fuck this lady like she's yeah. She's terrible. She's she's, you know, completely sabotaging Sydney. It's it's and it's like but then there, there's so much they just keep building depth like it's like an iceberg. There's so much depth right below the surface there. And then her son comes to the restaurant and all that. It's just, you know, it's it's fantastic. It's such an earned earned moment, too, when, you know, she and Sydney have their sort of, you know, agreement of like the potatoes are, are good. And she, that that look that she gives Sydney where it's like this satisfaction of like, Hey, I was like respected and listened to. And like, you know, I feel like I've done a good job. Like that, that was such a great acting moment. And then there's no words exchanged really after they kind of part, but just that 10 seconds between where they kind of look at each other and nod. It's great. There's a certain depth there with that too, where like, like you said, it's earned, like you can't fake that. You can't, that's not anything that words can say. That's not anything that, and I think Sydney is like the perfect, She's one of the best millennial characters I think I've ever seen where it's, it's kind of like, Hey, like, let's like, we, they don't want to be given everything for free. They want to work for stuff. They want to, but it's just like the in your face kind of almost abusive confrontational stuff. Isn't what it's about, right? It's, it's about substance and depth and, you know, uh, constructive criticism, but that doesn't mean it's soft. It just means like, let's just strip some of the other bullshit away from it. That's, that's the toxic emotional stuff. All right, quick break to say thank you to our friends at DraftKings, our partners, uh, football fans. 
Join the Premier League action for every game, every goal, and every shootout with the DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and get $100 in free bets, no matter what, win or lose. Enjoy the soccer thrills all season long with exclusive odds, money lines, live props, and more. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday with DraftKings same-day parlays? You can do just that. Create your own same-game parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total goals scored, and boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. I have no idea what's going on with the Premier League. Is it just? I think it's just starting up this year. Uh, so I need to. I need to get into that. I've been totally focused on Le Tour de France. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code NLU at sign up and new customers bet just $5 on the Premier League and get $100 in free bets, win or lose. That's code NLU only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. We thank them for their support of the Trap Drop podcast. Now back to the perfect club, the bear. The Tina character, the Sydney character, the Carmi character, like they all kind of serve as like really good juxtapositions too uh, you know uh, who's the pastry chef is who marcus, marcus right yeah. he is in that category as well richie's kind of in this category in a different way but th- there's there's kind of like on one side of the scale or on one side of the the room you have these people who are just like i need to go make a fucking difference in the world i can't do that here i need to i need to do something bigger i'm meant for bigger things i'm i i can't believe you guys are just going to toil away in this fucking beef shop. I need to get out of here and go do these amazing things. And then you have Tina, who's just like, no, like I make the fucking potato salad the same way every day. Why are you fucking with this? What is your problem? And just those two things fighting each other and eventually kind of winding up and like, oh, I guess we're kind of, we're, I guess we're kind of similar. <laughs> like it was just such a cool journey throughout the season too. I, I really enjoyed that. I loved Cicero. Cicero's such a <laughs> so good like a f- fun like you know it, it's a it's like a fun you know I'm like wait is Cicero like are they going to Cicero because I know Cicero's you know, right, a, know a suburb of Chicago or what here in like an episode four when they're they're you know they spike like basically <laughs> all everybody's asleep in the fucking and there's Xanax in the cooler <laughs> and everybody's just asleep and Cicero just goes with it he's like I'm, I'm into oh, it I kind of dig it actually <laughs> yeah, I'm into it. <laughs> yeah. That was such a great reaction, right? Because you, you expect it to be like blowing up and like this, you know, maybe like gangster type guy to f- flip his shit and like scream at Richie because he's been screaming at him. But he's still like, hey, I'm into it. Like, let's let's chill. <laughs> Just a great reaction. Totally unexpected twist. One other thing I, I kind of wanted to mention. So, Carmi, we're going to get to the, the monologue in the last episode, which is, you know, maybe the second most kind of biggest feat as far as the... Uh, the hashtag filmmaking goes just an unbelievable kind of seven minutes of, of television there. But there's a line in there where it's very simple, but he's just talking about how, you know, this restaurant means a lot to people. It means a lot to me. And I was talking with, uh, this kind of goes back to something you guys were saying a little bit earlier too, but was talking with a, a buddy of mine, uh, who's a musician, Ben Rector, who's been on the show before we were talking about just, you know, the the just art and commerce man you know just just talking through it and kind of this idea of uh, how every the internet has kind of made almost everything into this idea of just like oh you've got a good thing going like you need to do this 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 and this and then it'll be like the biggest in the world like uh, and how exempt in a lot of ways like restaurants especially local restaurants are from that and how how it almost is kind of like one of the last few 
bastions of uh, just like good local neighborhood stuff. Catullo's is a great example, Tron. It's it was a former food truck in Jacksonville. They got a, a very, very, very unassuming little place in a strip mall right next to the Walmart. And it, there's a line out the and door. A, every and day. a dry cleaner. Like, there's a dry cleaners on one end and a Walmart like neighborhood market on the other. And there's a fucking line out the door that's like 40 people long on a Tuesday afternoon, you know. But no, but nobody. What makes it so cool, and what is like so different from every other, you know, business you can pretty much think of, and it kind of goes back to the journalism example too, Kevin. But nobody's ever going to go in there and be like, "Oh, Catullo's, like, you guys are doing some really great stuff, man." Uh, there's this other restaurant, Applebee's. Here's how they took what you guys are doing, and they really scaled it up. And if you just kind of do this, this, and this, then there could be like. 50,000 Catulos all over the place like that that just like doesn't compute right and it's so obvious why it doesn't compute from a restaurant perspective and I think this show is kind of just like a you know it's maybe I just hate the internet but I think that's just kind of a, a beautiful kind of homage to exactly what you were saying earlier too Tron of, of like hey man you don't need to go to the Amalfi Coast in order to hit, like have good food like there's probably good food right around the uh, right around the corner go go check it out so uh, I don't know if you guys have any reaction to that, but that was one more thing in my notes. One of the best things about my job, and I think you guys would probably say this, is that you get to travel and see different shit. And if you're any kind of person of any substance, if you have any kind of, I, I, I'll, DJ, you can, I'm sure you can really just like both of us kind of recoil in horror at the like golf riders who go around the world and eat at a fucking Applebee's or a Carabas, right? Because like if you go to a city. And you spend any time there for whatever reason, you want to have some like actual stamp that you actually went to a place that actually matters there, right? Like I always go whenever I get an assignment somewhere and I'm like, all right, what is the best actual like local place here? And nobody is better at recommending those than my buddy Wright Thompson, who like loves food and has been to every fucking city in the country just about. And so literally I can text him on just about anything and be like, yo. I'm in St. Louis and he will send me within minutes like 30 recommendations of like these like little union bars or this divey Mexican place. Or I have no idea how he even like knows all these places, but they're always amazing. And I I mean, I was in the, I was in St. Louis for the gymnastics trials and I asked him and he'd sent me like four recommendations. I took my daughter to two of them and she was she was like, wow, dad, this is really good Mexican food. Like we're in the middle of like St. Louis. Like who would think that is like the awesomest? And that's. What makes restaurants cool, right? Is there a reflection of the people who live in these communities? And so every time you go to like some corporate shithole, a little bit of you ought to die inside, right? Because you're sort of like not connecting with the community where you're in. Yeah, it might be easy. And yeah, your expectations might be met. But like, I just can't do that. I can't stomach it. And so I have to kind of pick something. And there's nothing pretentious about it, really, to me. It's just like, why would you not want to eat food that's actually cared about by people who care about making it you know have some sort of standard as other than like yeah man we just gotta like get out and it, you know I, I just that i love love as that aspect of my job is i'm gonna i'm going to minneapolis tomorrow and i'm gonna go and find some awesome place in minneapolis i'm gonna ask people for recommendations about where should i go for dinner there because when the next time i'm gonna go to minneapolis why wouldn't i want to eat like some tiny dive bar and like have a freaking cheeseburgers stuffed with jalapeno peppers and cheese or whatever that you can only get in 10 different places in the world. I was going to say, a juicy gotta, Lucy. Like, yeah. you got to get a juicy Lucy. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, I, I probably go to the, like DJ can attest to this and Solly certainly can. I probably go to the opposite end of the spectrum of to where I go so far overboard 
in trying to search out those local places <laughs> to where sometimes we're on the road and the other guys are like, yo man, like this is the third night in a row. Can we just get a fucking pizza tonight? <laughs> like, like we, we don't have to walk 25 minutes across town to, to go to this place that some dude in the Instagram messages told you was great. Like, like, like again, like I'm tired. I want to go to bed early tonight. Let's just get a fucking pizza. And I'm like, God damn it guys. Like a little part of my soul dies, but also I know it's like, you know, it's going to be three hours out of our night when it should only be a 45 minute dinner, you know? Yeah. Listen, TC, we can do a local pizza place. That would, we, <laughs> that'd be great. That'd be great. But yeah, we, it's just not a five hour pizza place. Uh, all right. Let, let's get into a couple, couple more things. I, I wanted to talk about kind of the, the way the show was made, I think is a lot of something that a lot of people have talked about. It really certainly stuck with me. There's a lot of, a lot of things to speak to in that regard from, the music to the shots to a bunch of things, but I guess I just wanted to kind of start with this and again get your reaction and see what your what stood out to you guys. But without without trying to get too cute here, I think what makes the best cooking in a lot of ways is like doing really simple stuff really fucking well, right? I mean that is that's certainly a uh, a staple of every cooking show I've ever watched. Of course, you know Tron. We know no one. No one preaches that harder than our guy Tom Colicchio on Top Chef is like, hey, man, if you're going to make an omelet, like, that's great. Omelets are, are very popular for a reason, but you better fucking nail it. And that's where I feel like they do that so many times in this show where they, they do such a good work. Like, they do such good work with the montages and they don't do it's not just, you know, here's a flashback montage. It's working in a bunch of weird stills or a bunch of offbeat old photos that tell a story so much cooler than like some recreation of their childhood would tell the story. They do such a good job with the music, which we'll get into in, in a minute. But even like the B-roll of Chicago, like how many times have all of us seen B-roll of the L train or of the, you know, all the, the Hancock building and Wrigley Field and all the like they they do such a good job even with that stuff, just being at weird or interesting angles or there's a couple there's a couple shots of of carmy like down in on the beach that's exactly what i was gonna say where i was like wait fuck are they in like the caribbean right now or something like where where are they through me and they flip it around and like just doing little tiny things like that with just the right amount of flourish just reminded me again without putting too fine a point on it just reminded me of like an incredibly simple dish that you are like completely knocking out of the park you know what i mean well dj i think there's a very i think one of the the ways that they really get that across is on is when they talk about making the bread and that's a big theme of kind of throughout throughout the season is is the bread and and when the light goes off for uh, what's the baker's name again Uh, marcus marcus yeah like like when the when when the light goes off for oh shit like this is like this makes a massive difference when you when you have this pot of water in there or you know and it's like yeah it's it's doing the little things right over and over and over again and how that is the foundation for greatness right and i think there's a certain theme you know and and that goes throughout the season but it's you know and and then he takes that and applies it to you know baking the cakes or the donuts or all that stuff so Marcus is such a sweet, tender character. Like I just loved, I loved when he talked about, you know, his first job was at McDonald's and you don't really like get to learn anything there. You just push the buttons and you know, I I couldn't remember the last time that I 
saw a TV character talk about working at McDonald's, it wasn't played for as a joke, right? It was like, no, this is actually like was my first gig. And there's a kind of the dignity in that of like, yeah, this is the first thing that I learned to do. And I moved on to this. And, and it was like watching his mind open up to the expansiveness of like the art of baking. And, and I'm like, you know, we're getting the book, the paint book so they can look through all the various colors as he's looking for inspiration. Like, man, I just, I loved, I loved that whole scene between him and Sydney where they're both kind of thinking about quitting, whether they'll go back and they're kind of, you know, just trying to understand each other a little bit. And, and the, uh, the food that they, she made the sea bass there. I was, my wife was like, could you, I make sea bass a lot. And she was like, could you make that reduction please with our next sea bass thing? Cause like that <laughs> looked amazing. <laughs> so. That was a great scene with the two of them in her, mm-hmm. in her kitchen, just, you know, sitting there. It was like tender and there was a certain innocence about it too, right? Where it was like two people trying to find their way in the world and dealing with the vagaries of their future, but also like deeply, deeply in the moment and just enjoying something simple like that dish. It was, yeah. Well, that was a cool and that's moment. what I was, that's what I was going to say too, is like getting back to kind of the, the man, this is so authentic to the restaurant experience. You know, everybody except for one person at the restaurant, it looks like that right? Like that's, that's much more their experience. They're, they're not the ones in charge. Like, yes, uh, all the books get written about the person who's in charge. And most of the time the camera is following the person who's in charge, but just as much as, you know, kind of taking out the trash at the end of the night is that camaraderie kind of feeling like those types of things where you're just like kind of bitching about work away from work because it's all you can think about is, is also very much part of the, the restaurant experience. Yeah. I think that too, like, like, you know, with the details of, they show cleaning the kitchen at the end of the night a lot. Like that's, that's a reality of, you know, and the detail that goes into that and the hard work that goes into that. They show, I think just the, you know, going back to the theme you said earlier, KVV of like earned, not, you know, not given, right? Like when the bosses have to earn their, their keep, their respect as well. It's like, you know, like everybody's kind of, it's a total meritocracy. It's a total, you know, uh, you got to have the right attitude and you got to treat people the right way. And you can't fake that. Right. Uh, I want to get into the music a little bit. I think that's another thing people have talked a ton about. It's definitely one of my favorite aspects of it. Uh, KB, let's, let me start with you. What, give me a rundown. What, what were you feeling about the music? Where, where should we start here? Well, so because you had sort of made the joke about Wilco, I kind of was, I knew um, that Wilco was going to be in here. I, I remember the first time hearing, uh, Wilco on a TV show was watching um, Friday Night Lights. Like they used Muzzle of Bees in like the very first episode of season two, and I was like, "That's fucking Wilco on in the TV show!" Like, there's this is I've never heard this in my life before. Obviously, it happens now more, so it's it's amazing to hear like Impossible Germany and like Via Chicago songs that I like have loved forever in a TV show. Uh, but it is also kind of like one of the things that I really love about Stephen Hyden and music critic is he sort of talks about how like one of the best parts of Ladybird and DJ I know you and I have talked about this is that he makes Ladybird have like music that Ladybird the character would actually like in real life right it's not like some super hipster shit that like only like music critics would be into it's like Crash by Dave Matthews and there's a little bit of element of that in this show too where it's like no no like John Mellencamp is like an important part of an episode is the you know check it out and like St. Dominic's preview, like by Van Morrison, the live version is like a, a pretty important part. And so there's like some old school stuff mixed in with like the kind of, you know, 
early 2000s fare. I just, it, all of it fits the mood really well, right? None of it is pretentious. None of it is like particularly douchey. It's just like, no, nah, man, like this is exactly what like, you know, dudes like the, like Carmi and, and probably Richie would be listening to, you know? There, there's a great piece Stephen Hyden wrote. I think you texted to me actually, but the Uproxx piece about where he talked to the, the creators, the EPs about kind of why they picked the songs they picked. And, yeah, it's exactly what you're saying. They're they're not trying to comment on like Wilco being cool or un you know uncool or postmodern or post cool or is this you know some sort of commentary on on the white singer songwriters decline in America? It's they're like no, we just fucking like Wilco, man. Like I, it's, there's not really much more to it than that. And I just I laughed so fucking hard at it. It is so specific, but when Richie gets back in his car. And he's listening to the Counting Crows, and he's not just listening to a Counting the Counting Crows record. He's listening to the Counting Crows across the wire, which is a CD that was in my car for twelve fucking years, and I know every inflection on that on that out. I knew immediately it was the live version. I knew which live version it was. I felt like I don't even know that I even thought about the fact that that CD was in my car for so long, but it absolutely was. They have and they seen just, me I, lately. <laughs> seen me lately. <laughs> yes, it's it's so good. I. I I think what do I where I always get tripped up about stuff is where so I think where a lot of the like music choices end up getting very hipster is because you don't want to seem obvious and you don't want to seem like the the best way I ever heard it put I think Paul Thomas Anderson was on one of the Ringers podcasts or something and he was talking about Liquor's Pizza and he was talking about how like yes I used Life on Mars in in my movie but like my number one intention was that life on Mars was not doing all the heavy lifting. Like that wasn't, I, I was like, I wasn't relying on David Bowie to, to do all the heavy lifting for me. Like it's still up to me to create the characters, to create the moment, to create the tone. And then hopefully that matches up with the song and it's one plus one equals three. Right. And this show just does that over and over and over and over. And it's not like, there there are we've all watched very bad shows where we would have walked away be you know being like yeah man john melon i did the show was fine but like they played that john Mellencamp song i love that song that's cool like that was not the case it, it was very much like like yeah via chicago works fucking perfectly here because of all the other hard work you've done and and you know there's a million restaurant metaphors there as well it just feels inherently earnest right it's like they're yeah. not trying to 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 get through to you all these other things and and there's not like ulterior motives right it just feels like hey like we're we're telling a very rich compelling like colorful story here but we're doing it like through the characters and through the dialogue and then the other stuff is just like supporting and complementary right it's not like we're trying to drive a bunch of messages in these in these very veiled ways right right and it which doesn't is, become which a... like which like which like this day and age is like kind of rare and like it shows a, a certain amount of restraint and and you know it's kind of like holy shit like i feel invigorated by this instead of exhausted by it after i watch it you know yeah you don't you don't feel manipulated right like you don't feel like any of these exactly. songs were yeah. they were they weren't trying to make them into like tiktok sensations they weren't trying like it's just yeah I, I was also really happy reading that stephen hyden piece 
uh, I think it was Josh Senior was the executive producer had a had a line in there where they they basically used music as a shorthand to kind of explain the vibe of a show, which is something I have definitely done myself and with editors and and whatever is like. Like I, I can't really explain it, but like, listen to this song. Like, this is what we're going for. We can't. No, we can't use the actual song, but like, <laughs> hopefully, listen to that, and like, you'll you'll get what I'm talking about. And uh, it's just kind of fun to see them yeah. do that same thing. And two, we were talking about the across the wire thing. Just they use a different version of that. Uh, Have you seen me lately? At the end of that episode, like in the over the credits. So it's like you get the live version where it's like sort of sad, and Richie's like his car, and then you get the sort of more like. A, a beat version at the end when it's like Carmi's stressed out about something. It's like, oh god, this is perfect. That's such a Counting Crows dork. Shout out Aaron Rodgers. Like I, it, I, it resonated <laughs> so much for me. <laughs> he didn't. Uh, did he text you about didn't that? Didn't text that me. Moment, yeah, no? I, I no, hope. I'm still yet. waiting for that text. He has my number, so in case uh, he wants he, to reach out and talk about the bear. He was. Uh, uh, he, he was getting that tattoo. I, I think, think so. Yeah. So he's probably there was a lions on that. Right? You know. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's right bears, exactly <laughs> i think another character that i really liked was is it fac yes so maddie matheson he's like a canadian chef and kind of internet personality that actually since watching the show i've gotten kind of deeper into his stuff i was kind of vaguely familiar but some people reached out and like no you got to like dig deeper on this guy's stuff it's fantastic and they were not lying like it's 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 awesome and um but he's like kind of the do it all fix you know mechanic fixer for you know hey the the dishwasher's down or the igniter on the range is not working or whatever and you know it's such a um it's it's just such like one of those i do not have a weird little i do not have a connect (laughs) (laughs) yeah and he's you know it's kind of like he's like he he's got all this institutional knowledge of of like how to do shit but it's like where does he fit into the ecosystem right and it's like does he go work for some some you know services company and you know work for the man or does he you know become like kind of find his way and become a a employee of the restaurant and all that it's just it's a fascinating kind of he's kind of stuck in between because he's not even one of those people who who's you know like the aspirational character or the person that's like you know lifetime in a restaurant it's like he's he's neither of the above he's a great example too of uh kind of like sydney just absolutely eviscerates Richie in episode seven. It's just like, what What else are you going to do, man? Like like you said, he's got all this institutional knowledge about about this specific place, but it's like, man, if this place wasn't here, like, what the fuck would you go do? What? It's just, it's so good. And, 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 like, and like Richie, like Richie, I just, it's like such a love-hate thing the whole way because you're like, Oh my god! Like he's he's the he's the source of so much of the anxiety in the show. But then he's he's also like lovable. And when when they're on the way back from jail, right? It's like there's that bond that's kind of forged between the two of them, and it feels a lot more cohesive and a lot like it feels like there's more of a future there, right? It feels like they're 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 brothers, you know. I have never. I, I don't know the last time I laughed as hard as I did like out loud on my couch uncontrollably the line reading when they ask him to sell coke one more time and he just has that <laughs> long pause and he's like it's very interesting you guys come to me like this <laughs> just absolute right hook to to my temple it just just knocked he, me out we so haven't good. really talked a lot about richie but like there's i i Exactly what Tron says. Like, there's this love hate thing you have with him all throughout the show, 
And yet there's like these little human moments that make you feel, feel like in the, I think in the second or third episode where he calls his daughter and his daughter's having a, like a tough time at school. And he's like, you know, I, it, you know, as a divorced dad, like, trust me, you have like phone calls with your kids where you like wish you could hang out with them and you, you can't be there for them. That fucking broke me. I was like, just like seriously, like getting like tears welling up in my eyes. And yet like he turned around and Richie's like a complete dick, like 10 minutes later. And you're like, man, this is so frustrating. And I, the, the, when we talk about fact, like I loved that scene where they were like wrestling and, and, you know, like dragging each other all over the thing. And then they, as he's sort of asking fact to whatever, fix the, compressor or whatever in fact makes Ricky's Richie say like the whatever city apology but it's like the martial arts thing whatever it's like I, I, they've been doing that fight like for probably 20 years like you don't have to like have it spelled out to know that like those two idiots have been wrestling like this since they were in high school or whatever like that was such a great like show me don't tell me kind of moment in writing I loved when they're at the uh when they're going to is it the is it the like the party? I don't know if it's ep two or ep three, and Richie's he's always all worried about putting the fucking shirt. Yes, on the, blow up <laughs> on the inflatable. Hot and then dog. you just see it's it later so taped up to the hot dog. <laughs> taped. <laughs> oh come on, it's hilarious. I'll go get the one from the basement. After you, the spare from the basement. The backup. Yeah. yeah. The backup. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right. Let, I want to get. We'll, we'll start winding it down here. I want to get to a couple more things. Episode seven. It was called Review. The episode about you know Sydney kind of has handed her plate of uh, risotto to an unsuspecting uh, Chicago Tribune or sometimes food critic uh, who gives it a rave review and great start to the episode. It's got a uh, it's got a legendary DJ from WXRT. Very authentic. I can I've. Can only tell you guys how excited I was when I would occasionally drive outside of my farm bubble and uh, reach into WXRT territory <laughs> where I could get it on my radio for a little bit. They play the Sufjan Stevens uh, Chicago song. It was only a moment of time, you know, only a matter of time when they were going to get to that one. Absolutely delivered. Great montage again, just interspersing like, you know, all these amazing photos and just a very artful, cool way to do that. And then the entire rest of the episode, something like 17, 18 minutes, uh, is all one take. They never cut. They never, it is one camera, you know, action and cut. And it is the most intense thing I think I've seen outside of, you know, certain war scenes, maybe uh, on screen. And it is just, it ratchets up and up and up and up. It, it starts to boil hotter and hotter and hotter. The music gets more and more intense as it goes on. It just shows what it looks like when things slowly start to go wrong at a restaurant. So I'm curious, before we get into a couple of things about that, what was kind of your guys' impression watching that? Kevin, I'll start with you. Yeah, it takes that like true detective scene from who goes there and like ratchets it up to like a 11, which it shows you like how well done it is, right? Because that's about like Matthew McConaughey, like dragging someone out of like a, a, a sort of a Coke house and stuff and then getting shot at a million times and uses the same sort of like no cut uh, intensity to like bring it to a restaurant situation. I think what makes it so good, and I think someone uh, messaged me about this, is that they didn't like usually when they set a uh, sort of a, a stage for to film a show, they cut away like an entire wall. Right. So you can get 
you know, the cameras can be in certain spots and you can have lighting and whatever. They didn't do that in this show. They actually just like filmed it in a literal kitchen, which seems insane if you like know anything about like making of television. But it forces like the camera people to be like right on top of the actors and stuff. And so it feels crowded. It feels claustrophobic. It feels intense. And it just keeps getting like hotter and hotter as all the shit starts going wrong. And so that was my big takeaway. It was like, wow, this is freak. I mean, there's been lots of like you know, dating back to Scorsese or whoever, like no cut sort of one shot scenes, but it still managed to like take a, what's maybe a little bit of a cliche and take it to an own new unique sort of its own thing, which I just loved. I think you guys said it all. It's just like, indeed, was that really one shot or were they Yes. like, Oh, are they yeah. doing stuff from a transition? Like, because there, there's certain spots where like it goes from, you know, a cooler will open or something like that. Like, are they splicing that stuff in or, or was it truly one shot? I think it was a, a true one but I, I mean, there, I, I yeah, read yeah, that it was like 19, one, 1917. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That, that will build in, you know, transitions, like you're saying, yeah. and use those as when the full screen is black to kind of like cut away. But no, I think it was a, a true one, which is cr- crazy. And I think it's an interesting discussion too. So first of all, uh, just reading a couple of things about it. It sounded like they only did like like as I was watching it and you kind of realize after like four or five minutes, like, holy shit, they haven't even they haven't cut yet. And then you're like really on the edge of your seat as you're waiting to see if they're going to go the whole time. Uh, But I got to the end of it the first time. I was like, oh, man, they must have had to practice that like 600 times to get that all the choreography and everything right. And uh, the actor who plays Carmi, I think. It is like I I cannot say enough about like what art that is from the like camera operator to just be in focus pretty much the whole time. And and that's even kind of the other thing where you can tell it is like a a true one is like they're not they're not in focus the whole time, but they get it back. And it's like it's just so cool. But they the way he was kind of describing it was like in only doing the four kind of like practice takes or maybe it was four full takes and they just chose this one was like, think about how much that just ratchets up the intensity with the actors too. Right. As you're, you're really just like, Oh my God, I, I truly like truly can't fuck this up. I truly got it. Like it just, it matches the intensity of the episode. It just, everything continues to, to keep building and building and building on itself. And it's just, it's so cool. It's such a perfect episode for it too. Cause it, it totally captures that. Yeah. You know, you've got the, you've got a just the lunch rush in and of itself <laughs> b you've got the like the whole to-go service thing which is its whole own thing of like the you know the the whole role of to-go food and you know kind of takeout in today's food culture and you know is that a good thing or a bad thing and you know like at like that was that was when my like my anxiety was going nuts when the pr- uh, the printer the printer just keeps yeah. spitting off all of those fucking tickets. Yeah. And I'm like, cause I've been, cause I've been there before. And like, like, uh, you know, a shift where you get slammed for two hours and shit's backing up and guard manger is not pulling their weight or, you know, the guy on the grill is his lacking or, you know, and it's like, or you're, you're out of dishware or whatever. And it's like one thing leads to another and it's this cycle. And, you know, and sure enough, like you're in the weeds before you know it. And then, guests start sending food it's like it's like murphy's law guests start sending food back and and then somebody you know two people run into each other because somebody didn't say corner 
<laughs> like shit like that. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, it just like, like that episode. And then, so knowing it, like I, at the time I didn't even know it was one shot. So I'm so wrapped up in all this nervous energy and anxiety. And it feels like such a massive moment for the restaurant as well. Cause it's like, man, is this their golden ticket turning on this to go food and really, you know, going to the website or going to the app here and then seeing it all blow up in their face. And it's like, you know, not only like, do you, like you feel so despondent, but then also you realize like, holy shit, that was like, that was like a 20 minute scene, 20, you know, 20, 22 minute scene. And like, it, it feels like four and a half minutes. Cause you like, you feel like you're truly along for the ride. It's the ultimate. Yes. That, that's exactly it. And, and it's the ultimate, like you get to the end of the episode and you're just like, why the fuck do I feel like this right now? Like, why am I, <laughs> why am I so tense? And you start to think like, Oh my God. Yeah. They haven't, they haven't cut in 20 minutes, but yeah. I, I think it raises kind of an interesting question too, about like, I, you know, I, I like the, the masturbatory camera work as much as as much as anybody you could you could you know any any good one shot I've, i'm i'm all in on i'd usually you know they give you a pretty good thrill i don't know that they always necessarily like serve the story right like i, I remember if anyone uh saw the french dispatch this you know whatever that was a couple years two years ago last year uh wes anderson movie there's an amazing oneer in there that involves 25 different sets and just this incredible Jeffrey Wright kind of walking through all these different scenes and it's it's unbelievable and they shot it all and on one thing and honestly I don't even think I realized it as I was watching it I, I think I only realized it because I saw I don't know if it was Vulture or someone did a, a big like kind of write-up on it but that's one where I like I walked away I was just like oh all right like cool man like that's super impressive unbelievable that you guys pulled that off that's so cool but like i don't know why i don't know why you did that whereas this is the ultimate you know it's like the goodfellas <laughs> shot it's the ultimate just like oh my god am i in this fucking scene right now and it's because of the way you shot it mm -hmm. last kind of beat i wanted to get to is just the monologue in uh, episode eight in the finale, Carmi goes to an Al-Anon meeting. Uh, they ask if anybody wants to speak, and he basically just kind of puts up about 45 points in seven minutes uh, with this this monologue he he puts up. I, I know, Kevin, you just watched it right before we came on. What were kind of your impressions going back through it? Just in the way that it sort of explains everything about the relationship with Michael like you've been sort of wondering like why the fuck would Carmi come back and put himself through this and what drove him to become a great chef and you get all of that finally in like the very end right it's just how you want to kick off like the end of your first season with like okay here's your payoff you've been paying enough attention you feel invested in the person who's about to sit down in this chair you saw him you know, the buildup and the anxiety of like, do I really want to go to this Al-Anon thing? What does it mean? Why does my sister want me to sort of go to essentially like a confessional? And you get the intensity of, it's a different kind of one shot thing, right? It's like right up on, instead of zooming all around and coming in out of focus, you get the intensity of just uh, Jeremy White's star's face, right? Uh, and that's like super important to like caring about him as a character and to their relationship with Michael, which you get then the payoff later at the end of the episode of like, and he, he says, which I didn't realize in the, f until I watched it again, like how he talks about his brother says, you know, he always used to say, let her rip. 
which I missed on the first time, which then made me feel like, oh my God, like when you get the, that comes back again, which we can talk about, you know, to sort of close here, like, like another kind of gut punch of like, shit, like the, his brother was sending him a message in some way by like boxing him out and basically saying, you know, I don't want you around. It wasn't out of malice. It was sort of more out of like, you need to go be something else. You can't get sucked into this fucking world. And because his brother didn't love the restaurant, his brother was like, uh, you know, I'm just doing this to kind of keep the family business going. So that's when he says, you know, I, I, it means something to me. I don't know if it ever meant anything to my brother. So he's still kind of lost, but he's figured out a lot of shit over the course of the season. And it all comes sort of like spilling out to these strangers, literally right after this kind of like horrible scene of like a top chef type scene, right? Where he's kind of, you know, saying, oh, my brother used to make this great, amazing meal for us. And then he blew his brains out on the bridge. And I just was like, wow, this is, was one of the more, uh, wonderful I, I love the idea of he says it in this speech like using food to speak to people right like the, because that gets back to a lot of whatever we talked about like with restaurants mean something to communities like why why would you do uh food service in general if you didn't have you know why would you start a business i guess it, there's so many people who do it maybe out of necessity sure but also people who do it because it, it means something to them it's this is my culture this is my family this is what I'm passionate about. I, we sit around and you tell stories and you fall in love over food and you break up over food and you grieve over food. And all of that is sort of translated through that moment of like, well, why did you do all this? Because I, I didn't know how to talk to people in another way than this. And so Carmi's sort of explaining that. And I was like, damn, this is like, obviously they were building up the, the, the showrunner talked about how it's like waiting all season to sort of, hope that the, you know you'd be invested in this moment and the payoff is great it really is there because it it makes me feel that much more like i care about carmy as a character so yeah i thought it was remarkable just just the acting alone in that i mean it was so well delivered and so you know it doesn't feel it feels so inherently personal and deep and and you know he it's almost like all of this is a lot of it's occurring to him but also he's it's it's been brewing for so so long that he hasn't really thought about it or even sat down and reflected on all of it and it's kind of washing over him like a tidal wave um yeah i thought that i thought that was unbelievable and i thought really at the very end as well these like the the and it, it kind of made me chuckle where he's like acid your dish needs acid like when he texts when he texts Sydney and it's like hey like that that just made me happy because we're, we're big Tom Tom Colicchio fans and it's like that's like one of his favorite things it's like yeah it just it, it just wasn't seasoned it lacked acid you know but uh but that and then also just the um like kind of going into that too of like maybe I'm just dumb but like I was kind of trying to work through in my head I'm like all right he's trying to send him this message with the 300k and all you know the the money in the jar right but but like why not like why you know the whole kbl thing and why not like why go through all the hoops right why why the back taxes why squirrel all the that away and i think that's part of you know that's obvious that's not that's obviously part of the message totally agree last thing on the uh on the the monologue and then when we get to the ending and we'll we'll close it down. Kevin, I'm sure you more than anyone can appreciate this, but the 
the the more writing you can do with the fewer words, the better, right? Which is ironically a, a bad way to say that. Uh, but the 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 way he basically says, you know, I didn't know my brother was using drugs. What does that say? Is basically like, well, there's like the whole entire show, right? It's just like, man, this guy killed himself, and you had no idea. Like, not only did you not see it coming, you had no idea that even the the thing that he was involved with that he was involved with it it's just it's such good writing on display over and over and over in that that monologue it's just it's so good and then on the ending front tron i'm i'm with you in that like i got through and i had like a smile on my face because it was so well done but then was also like wait so what like what happened what's going on and i can't tell if i'm also dumb but maybe not because it seems like everybody i've talked to uh, about this show has felt somewhat similarly i I feel like i can explain about 40 percent of what happened you know but i'm definitely not there and i'm hoping that most of that was intentional and and you know it's not like you needed to hook me on season two but i am i'm mega in on season two like it just felt like there was a certain sense of like you know he's starting with a blank slate and you know he's capable enough to like starting with a blank slate for him with you know the space and with the staff and everything in place and really like no debt that almost feels like in and of itself he's got a million bucks in the bank to start up with Right. It's like he's already got the money to start the restaurant. And I think that's where, you know, I yeah, I think like it's taken me a while to get there. But like, I'd rather that be the case than, oh, hey, there's there's another 300 K on top of the 300 K to pay off the debts and stuff, you know. So if you look at it from the story standpoint, right, like I think you could say, okay, Mikey was maybe squirreling this money away in the tomato cans to sort of protect it from not only, you know, being seized in some sort of like if the shit fails, but also protect it from himself. Like if he's that bad of an addict, what better way to basically like hide your money and basically like keep some sort of wall or, you know, guardrails up so that you don't spend it or burn it through on pills or do stupid shit with it. So I, I think we can make maybe a sort of a leap of like, why the fuck would Mike do this? Like there's a, an example of maybe why. From a storytelling perspective of it, you have it sort of work that way so that, right, like Carmine has learned all of the lessons in some ways that he needs to learn before the sort of, you know, savior comes down and and sort of fixes or at least gives him the clean slate that Tron you're talking about for season two. But also, like, you have this looming sort of element of like, yo, the uncle still wants his money. The uncle might be kind of a shady mob type i don't know and that's never really explicitly uh said which i think is good too because we don't know like if his uncle is actually like sort of a tough guy or if he's just like a you know dude who wants his money back and i think that it's a it's a cool thing right because it's like it brings it back to this idea of yo mikey like you know a lot of shit and I need you to figure out that shit so that you can make this thing run. But also like you need to remember that like there are certain elements of this restaurant that are so simplistic that they're like a meaning of family and you need that aspect too. And so like those things kind of come together in that moment of like, holy shit. All right, I'm going to make this shitty family spaghetti that we've been making for 30 years and I think sucks and, you know, doesn't have any real element to it. Wait a minute. The answers are here in these freaking tomato cans. And you get like the tease early in the second episode or whatever. Where he says, why was Mikey buying these 
smaller tomato cans. Why not buy, you know, the the larger ones to save money or whatever? And Abraham's like, yo, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's just, that's what we do. I don't know that we 100% know. And I, I think it probably will be spelled out. But it's another example of like, hey, you know, like, you don't get everything spelled out for you in this show. Like, you have to kind of take a little bit of a leap of faith. So that's building the connected bridge to the next season of like, yo, you came this far with us. You figured it out to this point. Now take a leap with us to the next thing. Because like if you look on the Internet and you see go, there's some sort of like the KBL stuff, like his dad's wearing a KBL electric sweatshirt. And then he's sorting through the uh, the sort of document stuff and sees that why was Mikey paying all this to KBL or whatever to, you know, for whatever reason, like was is KBL the canning company that was like canning this stuff and is this money being laundered somehow or is it just that he needed to sort of save himself from it, keep it from potentially like getting, you know, going under if the restaurant went bankrupt or if his, you know, his uncle decided to buy it. Like all of that, I think is a cool mystery to it. But in the, from a writer's perspective, like, man, he dumps that spaghetti thing into the saucepan and the money comes out and you're like, holy shit. Like the answers were there all along. Like it's kind of a, it's a little bit cliche, but it's earned. Well, too. and I think it's something where like it, it keeps it on a razor's edge, even moving into the future of like, it's not happily ever after there's a, you know, there's, there's, a, there's always going to be the challenges. There's always going to be the uncertainties. There's always going to be the vagaries, both of the family side of things, but also just of owning a restaurant and, you know, and then owning one with this kind of weird, you know, shady history. And then also like, God, like I'm just, you know, what episode was it where Richie first has the envelope or you find the envelope? Yeah. I think it's one, one or two that carries through the whole season. Right. And you're like, you're like screaming at the TV. You're like, what the episode two? Like what the fuck, man? Give him the fucking envelope, you know? So, all right, well, let's, let's start, uh, you know, our initial descent here. Any, any other lingering questions, any, any notepad you know, emptiers you want to, you want to get off your plate. Anybody, anybody get anything? I loved the biggest, like the, the guy that just made me laugh more than anybody in the show was the dipshit brother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was going to be one of my things is the, the, the fact that like, I'm of course a massive white Sox fan. The fact that they made him, the fact that they made him a Cubs fan was among my favorite things. I was just going to say this, dude. Oh, of course, you're a fucking Cubs fan. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just, you probably don't even know the first baseman. Yeah. It, it was that, that whole aspect was just <laughs> so, so, so good. Uh, just if, I mean, you're true. This is you. You would know this better as like a Chicago person. But like the fact that they're White Sox fans is so much better than if they were Cubs fans. Like this, this is so true to like the gritty, like working class. Like that is the sort of. Cubs fans like can come from all walks of life, but White Sox fans have to really like you know be born into it or earn that fanmanship, right? Well, and that's what's that's what's so good about it is like, yes, there are a lot of people like like who you meet in in the restaurant, right? I I grew up like and and of course I'll I'll get far you know out in front of this. I, I am of course from just outside Chicago, as you guys know. I, I never lived in the city. I never I never really did much of a gritty, you know, Chicago life at, at all. But, you know, spending enough time, you know, in the in the vicinity. I mean, you meet plenty of people like that. You meet plenty of the brother-in-laws as well. Plenty of those people out out in the suburbs, uh out, you know, on the north side, all, all kinds of uh people like that too. So, they just do such a good job of of casting that net. And I I think there's probably been a little bit of blowback on like they didn't get this at all. They totally messed up the Chicago stuff, which I think is a bit of a like, you know, when the New York Times kind of writes about your 
area of expertise, right? Is like, yeah, I mean, listen, man, they got like 99% of the shit right. But yeah, they might have missed a couple details, but like, hey, man, they're just they're they're just parachuting in. But I thought the the bona fides from where I was sitting was 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 pretty good. The some of the accents maybe a little over the top at at times, but uh on that note, one of the things that actually Justine pointed out to me, I didn't even notice, but if you go back and rewatch it, it seems like Carmi has like such a thick New York accent in the first episode, first, second episode. And then that slowly kind of just goes away, uh, which is a very, very subtle. I don't know if that was on purpose or not, or if they shot the pilot at a different time or whatever. But with with how good everything else in this is in this show, I'm willing to uh, give them the benefit of the doubt that that was kind of his New York kind of slowly fading out, which was pretty cool. I think on the Chicago front. This could have happened in Boston or Philly or like the Chicago, like it felt like Chicago and it was inherently Chicago, but I don't think like, I think if you stripped the Chicago out and said, Hey, let's, let's have this in Boston or Portland, Maine or Detroit or somewhere like that. Like, I don't think it inherently changes the complexion of it. Right. It changes some of the accents It changes, you know, some of the scenics or, you know, some of the themes here and there, but like, I don't think it changes the, the total complexion of it. I think, I think Chicago's additive to it, but I don't think like, I, th- I think it's more of like, it needs to be a city with, with a sense of place and a city with, with a soul to it. But you know, I don't think it goes to the level of like, it's not a Chicago drama, right? No, I, I totally agree. I think it's, I, I think you nailed it. It's additive, right? It's, it's yeah. Chicago's a hook. It's, yeah. it's easy and fun to watch a show about Chicago, but yeah, I agree. It could have kind of, Something else anywhere. too that I really, really like enjoyed was just the variety and like episode length. Like it's not like they ha- they're forcing it into, and I'm sure that drove FX nuts, <laughs> right? But like you know, like as far as scheduling and stuff, yeah. I think they dropped it all. That's what I mean. I think it might have been a Hulu okay kind of thing that they they just dropped it as a streamer but because it felt like like they weren't trying to stretch out an episode or you know like everything that was there was meant to be there. Right. And there's a certain like that's very rare, even on streaming things where like there's this there's a relative consistency throughout a season where when you get to 20 minute episode in, in season or in uh, ep seven and then you get 45 minutes in ep eight. It's like they're they're that way for a reason. And just like the the single shot in seven, it's like the device or the vehicle which the which the episode arrives in is additive to the story itself. Kevin, anything else in the holster? I just I loved the uh, the one scene where we get to see Mikey where he's kind of the one uh, telling the story. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the fact that John Barenthal comes in as a you know throwing 105 miles an hour for for a little five minute yeah. scene. It's, it's it, it, so he tells that great story about like going to the bar and those other Blackhawks players are still there, and, and then you know Richie tries to. Big Ed Balfour yeah. <laughs> shout out, which was which made me really. I was happy. having to explain to my wife, oh, those are, these are hockey players, honey. Like, <laughs> you know, I know, <laughs> you, you know, she's very smart, but doesn't follow the the hockey of any among other sports. So uh, it was like, oh, yeah, and then, but it's super great the way that like it's it's just a hilarious story. They're all laughing, like Carmi's preparing the food. It's like this amazing memory, and then you cut to like Richie trying to retell the story on this like date where she was like. <laughs> Wait, so you were at a bar at like seven <laughs> in the morning? Like, <laughs> oh, the, that date was awesome. The date no, was I, such a oh, good, so scene. good, yeah. it's so good. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't really want to hear it. I'm, I'm good. I don't need to hear it. Thanks. 
just well, it's right here. What, yeah. do, you, what do you mean? Just call no. me. Question for you, like on the just as far as this, uh, the guy who kind of created the show, you know, showrunner, you know, EP for it and all that, um, Christopher Storer. Like, I don't. Is he kind of out of nowhere? Like, what's his, what's his, CV? Bo Burnham friend, okay. Bo Burnham's buddy. Yeah, I was gonna say. It. Exactly. I think he's been around the like comedy world. I don't know much about him at all. I think he, uh, I think he had a famous uh, girlfriend, wife. I'm I'm sketchy on the details, but just I think he's from Chicago and has kind of vaguely been doing a lot of things that people would probably know in L.A. for quite a while. But I think this is his first full on like, you know, the first from the twisted mind of Christopher Storer, I believe. Okay. But uh, can't wait for uh, can't wait for more. It seems like it, it's a massive splash. Yeah, that and then I'm just going through kind of the, the list of like, you know, directors or, or you know, who directed each episode. This guy, Hiro Murai, uh, it's like a Japanese, of course, filmmaker like I, your, I, your favorite, favorite hitters, favorite hitter. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. Atlanta. And, oh, yeah. Station Eleven. I think he did a number of the Station yeah. Eleven episodes. I was going to say, I'm like going through just like all the music videos that he's done, too. Like, this guy seems like a complete, complete mm. OG savage. One of the foremost menaces <laughs> in the in the game these days. Absolutely. I, I think he's a bit of a directed the infamous. This is America. Childish Gambino uh, video. It looks like. So. So, I mean, like, like, I guess, where does this fit in as far as like, did this get passed around? Was this like something that kind of came about? Like, as far as the context for this, this season of this, is this Christopher Storer guy been trying to make this, this this series for a long time or or is this something that came about i think so that that was kind of the the story that i heard anyways was that it had been yeah it'd been kind of passed around or kind of sitting on the shelf for quite a while and you know taking a bunch of meetings and never quite got you know on the over the finish line and it's just you know it's great when those stories are the ones that that kind of pop i i love when I, I love that. And I love that also, I mean, we kind of mentioned it. It was almost one of the first things I think we talked about, but the fact that the, you know, Christopher Storer's very unknown. The fact that most of the actors in here outside of a couple and outside of a couple of the, the cameos, right? Like Joel McHale and Oliver Platt and uh, uh, Molly Ringwald's in there for a little while, which was kind of wild. Justine had to convince me that's who that was. Wait, uh, when, who was Molly Ringwald? She was at the Al-Anon meeting, I believe. She was the, the oh, one really? speaking. Yeah. This is welcome oh to God. my world, brother. No kidding. Wow. Uh, but the the point is the fact that you, you're everybody's kind of coming to this, Tron. I think it was the first thing you said, but you're kind of coming to it with no context, and only because you know you you got a good recommendation from somebody else. Isn't that you know, guys, just to put a bow on it? Isn't that like some of the best restaurants you've ever been to? You know, Tron said we should go check this place out, and we went and checked it out, and we had a great time. You know, I, I don't know, I don't know what what more perfect metaphor you could have than that. Crushing it, dude. Way, way to wrap this uh, episode. <laughs> well done. I hope, I hope some people will will take that our recommendation and run with it. And uh, you know, all of a sudden the bear become the biggest hit thing. They'll franchise it. They'll be you know, fingers crossed. The bear, the, the bear Boston, the bear Jacksonville. I mean, it's just you know, what, what could bear happen? bear amusement parks? Uh, maybe a, maybe a maybe a streaming. You know about the restaurant, about the. It, there's just all kinds of merchandising things. Maybe a leather Prequel jacket, bear. Yeah. kind of a oh, Planet Hollywood style uh, leather jacket, which I don't. Kind of Margarita of those. 
You know, I know, I know you're a big Margaritaville guy. You're devastated that you're up in Milwaukee I now. Was. Far from no, I know, I know. I hope they. I think there was some talk of putting one up in uh, up in Shorewood here, just north of just north of the city fingers crossed that that comes to pass well guys this was an absolute thrill tron thanks for uh you know always fun to be on the trap i appreciate you lending your space to some young creators like myself and kvv just an, an absolute thrill a couple to be of here. seuss just trying to make it in the <laughs> just, game you know that's that's right that's right uh <laughs> you know kvv it's it, your dish is still not ready man it's it's just not ready <laughs> chef it, it needs acid uh, but we're going to get there. Well, yeah. well uh, no, I appreciate you guys, you know, making room for me. I'm kind of a neophyte with all the, the, like I said, I don't watch a whole lot. I like, I, I virtually never watch movies unless I'm on an airplane or I have a really, really good recommendation from DJ. I very rarely watch TV and it's like, I need to, I need to do more of both. Right. And, uh, this is, you know, it's on, I've got some momentum going now cause this left such a great taste in my mouth. That's what I was going to say. This right. show made me want to cook food and watch TV. So that's a that's a pretty great combo. I'd say two of my And listen to good music, so. too. <laughs> and listen to good music. Exactly. Yeah. All that's right, awesome. boys. Well, let's let's wrap it there. We'll be back. Uh, I don't know when the next Perfect Club will do. Will be uh, sometime in the next coming weeks, I would think. But uh, enjoyed it, fellas. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll get back to the regularly scheduled TC and Randy chop sessions soon, I'm sure. But for well, now, yeah. cheers. I mean, Thanks. what else? K- KVV, what else? Are you, like you're watching that that one on Apple TV that you're trying. Severance. That's oh, that's next Severance. on my list to get into. Okay. So, oh man. How, ma- we, how many seasons are we talking about on that one? Just one. Oh, just one. Just, just one. one? Okay. Yeah. There'll be a there'll be a second uh, for sure. But uh, yeah, you you Severance. Uh, I watched the first three episodes and was like, I don't know. And Deej kind of texted me. Was like, Hey, just keep going. Trust me. And I'm very glad that I did because uh, the payoff is certainly worth it. So if you've reached that point where you're like, man, this is a little dark. I don't know if I really am into this. Like, it's awesome. Uh, and so. Yeah, now, I think that feels that, like the, it's got to be the next one. Randy's a massive fan, too. I know. The Bear, Severance, and Stations Eleven would be like my big three hitters this year. Like, uh, I would recommend those to anybody who is looking for a show that's really all of them are single season shows for right now. Uh, and, uh, I don't think station 11 is going to come back, but, um, the bears coming back and severance will come back. So, but right now you haven't, you aren't, haven't fallen behind. You can, okay. uh, get into them. So yellow it's jackets is next on my list. I think it, so. it feels, it feels less daunting when there's one season yeah. and I don't have to exactly. watch, you know, three up front or whatever. So, um, awesome. Well, thanks guys. Oh, okay. All right, guys. Thanks, chefs. <laughs> thanks chef. <laughs> Favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper.